welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I am Becky and I'm looking at Marie on the Zoom. How are you doing today, Marie? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty a good? tiny bit hungover, but I think we'll I be able know. to make it through. That's all right. Well, I fear that you're hungover. Can that be my, uh, my fear today? It's fine. I, I, you know, I've mastered the martini, which we've talked about from the from the goop site when it's paltrow's yes, martini yeah exactly and uh so now i've decided to graduate to old fashions have you had an old-fashioned <laughs> so the next so I've, had, I've had a sip of one so i go to this liquor store and i i'm like can you recommend some whiskeys for someone who's trying to like you know start out in whiskey and i gave them my price range because i don't want to spend like 200 bucks on a bottle of whiskey yeah you can go crazy yeah with, with, yeah <laughs> So, so the woman was like, well, there, here's a sampler that you can get. It has three high-end whiskeys in it. So for like 80 bucks, you get these little mini bottles of whiskey. And I'm like, that's perfect. So I get it home and I can't stand these whiskeys. They are terrible. Oh, wow. oh. So I'm like, they must be recommending these whiskeys to everybody to get them off the shelf. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm one of these people, if I buy something, even if it's disgusting, I bought it. So I have to like, eat it or drink it or so I got these three little bottles of whiskey what can I do with them and I'm like make them into old fashions so that's what started the old fashioned anyway so we had some friends over and we played this board game called the game of things which I think you would really like it was hilarious and I made everybody old fashions like their high-end uh whiskeys have I was making old fashioned to like a 14 year aged whiskey. Oh God. <laughs> it's, it's wow. like making hamburger hash with like filet mignon. essentially. Yeah. 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 Well, everyone wants to come to your house for a board game now. Right. <laughs> you can either have the 14 <laughs> or the 12 years aged whiskey in mm. your uh, old fashioned. <laughs> so you know, so, um, all right. What are you fearing today, Marie? All right. So as you know, the holidays are coming up. I can't believe it. It's bizarre, right? It's just like all of a sudden it's the holidays. And I always get a little nervous this time of year about the gifts that I'm going to receive. Because it it seems like when people know you have an interest in something, but they're confused about you in general, they just hone in on that interest, right? (laughs) I mean, like, okay, yes, I like cats. We've established that. I like wine. I do like true crime, but I like other things too, like normal things, like sweaters, a bag of socks. I like that stuff, but I don't ever get that stuff, right? Instead, well, what I, do people always give you cat stuff. So people tend to get me. Well, well, first of all, because I like wine, people assume I like any wine. So People I get always give us red wine and I'm not a red wine person, but right. I guess that's fancier than like white wine. So people, you know, for a nice gift, they, it's more expensive. Wow, so, are you really complaining about the gifts? No, 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 no. Okay. Look, send me that red wine that people send to you <laughs> and I'll send you the white wine that people okay. give to me and okay. it'll all balance okay. out. But the, the wine stuff is not that big of a deal. It's the cat stuff. Okay. Okay, I don't, for the most part, I do have a couple of carefully curated cat t-shirts, but they're funny and ironic. 
I don't wear cat clothing. <laughs> I don't decorate my house with cat figurines. I don't know why people Good. would think that I do, but I've gotten so many cat gifts over the years that when we were moving, James labeled a box from our previous house, Marie's cat figurines. Oh, a whole box. Of well, now Marie. I feel bad for all the people who might hear this who've given you cat shit over the years. I don't feel bad. Oh, okay. how many, how many crazy cat lady cat figurines do I need? I would like, as an example, I saw on online, it's like a turkey pouring thing. It's like, a, what do you call it? You put your gravy in yeah at thanksgiving but it was like a cat and it was like a cat gravy boat. puking gravy out of its mouth yeah no. you can you that? do you still have that no because i'm putting it on our instagram oh, oh yeah yeah i'll put that up there i would actually enjoy that see that that's the thing is my cat figurine taste or nuance i would actually enjoy the cat puking gravy boat which i'll send to you i think that's hilarious but an actual like precious moments cat or something no no so i'll give you an example my mom called me one day because i told her to stop getting me cat stuff she called me one day and she said hey i came across this um this dress with cats on it and she goes before you say anything the cats are muted and i and i just said to her i'm like i don't want muted cats i don't want cats at full opacity on a dress <laughs> i don't want i'm like how old do you think i am and i think i was in my late 20s at the time i'm like a, a romper with cats on it muted or not that's for that's for like maybe uh an older lady okay <laughs> am i just insulting everybody i'm such an oh, asshole like, uh, tread lightly I bring this up because when I was researching our topic for today, all these articles came up. I just texted you one of them, specifically gifts this season for people who like true crime. I just wanted to put it out there to any of my friends and family. I am starting a, a true crime podcast, but don't buy me true crime tchotchkes. So I'm gonna put it out there for anyone who knows and loves me and is listening to this. I want all of the true crime tchotchkes. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> I was I was looking at the ones that you sent me. I'm like, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. Oh, I know. Continue. Yeah. Uh, we're talking right now about the uh, true crime gifts that Becky would like to receive for Christmas. <laughs> Send them my way. Like grown-up type stuff. Like, I don't know, t-shirts and coffee mugs and things like that well if you do want to get me a true crime gift i i do think the cbd infused black dahlia candles seem that kind of freaked me out a little it's kind of creepy okay there's one thing of where we we like true crime but there's another to capitalize on that poor girl's gruesome death i mean that's that don't that's not right you know that's it's not even like we're writing a book or trying to figure out who did it it's like, you just want something creepy named after her, you know? I don't know. Oh, the black, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what I, I mean? I mean, if you're, it's a black dahlia, if it's a, if it's an actual, you know, what is it, a flower, I guess? If it's a flower, that's one thing, but we're talking about crime. So we're talking about Elizabeth Short. Short. Yes, Elizabeth yeah. Short. But yeah. imagine, imagine you're like, you've just met someone for the first time and 
you have him over to your place, you make dinner, and then it's time for romance, and you're like, hey, wait a second, let me light my Black Dahlia candle. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> you're like what is what is that scent uh chad and chad's like oh this is uh, this is the murder candle don't you know about the disappointment in hollywood it's like 1940 it's it's cbd infused so you'll be calm while i'm murdering you you won't have any anxiety about this experience and there's there's three of them too i don't know if there's like different cbd effects from each of the candles but did you see this cold case crime game it's super creepy i glanced at it but i was i don't know what what are you doing in a game there are we solving crime i don't know but there's like a picture of this beautiful girl and then like all these creepy perpetrators i don't know it's a little it's kind of like a fantasy role play it's it's a little weird yeah well you know talking about whether or not we would want true crime gifts for Christmas kind of leads us into today's topic. Today I'm fearing true crime super fans and I think we have a lot of material here so this may end up being more than one episode and when does a healthy interest in a hobby turn into an obsession? We see this phenomenon more and more in our society. I I remember a few years ago, maybe more like 10 years ago, with Star Wars coming back, how obsessed people came, and you're, you're seeing hoarding as like a thing more and more. And so true to form with, with serial killers and true crime, within the last really five years, it's become a thing that everyone is into. And now we're seeing people level up from just annoying their spouse by watching the ID channel 24 seven to collecting murderabilia, going to going on serial killer vacations. And as we'll discuss later on in the podcast, there's even a step further where people literally start friendships and romantic relationships with killers. So I wanna start with the progression from being a, a true crime podcast enthusiast to now wanting to collect murder items. Are you familiar with this industry? Um, No, not beyond a museum, you know? So people just have, what do they have in their homes that are like, I don't understand. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) By the way, the the word murderabilia, have you heard that before? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's, it's a terrible yeah. word. It's like moist or panty. It just, it doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> no, it's gross. Yeah. U.S. News and World Report, December 18th, 2013, has an article called Murderabilia, When Does Fascination with Crime Go Too Far? And they talk about a guy by the name of John Shenwick. He's a self-professed true crime aficionado. And he's collected over the past eight years, something like a hundred drawings and pieces of artwork from serial killers specifically. Oh, (laughs) the drawings. I forgot about that. Yes. People collect artwork from like Charles Manson and stuff. This particular guy has handwritten letters, locks of hair and nail clippings and personal items such as clothing, dentures and Christmas stockings. So This is what Shenwick says about his collecting. 
The art is expression of the person and who they really are. It amazes me that so many of these people have a real art talent and could, could have made something of themselves if they hadn't have committed the crimes they did. I'm like, this guy is not living in reality. <laughs> you know, I know in, in most of our podcasts, you're the expert having a criminology degree, but I can finally speak to something I'm a professional at. And as an artist, <laughs> finally, finally, <laughs> okay. As an artist, I have, I have seen, I wouldn't even call these works of art and I'm not bashing on these people because they're serial killers. If, if I thought one of them was truly a talented artist that could succeed in the world of art, I would say it, but these are like children. They range from children's drawings to people who are just fucking off, you know, like Richard Ramirez, the, the Night Stalker, he traced his hand and sold that. Con Wayne Gacy's clown paintings are like maybe the paintings a 12-year-old would do. There's there's no artistic, I'm just saying there's no artistic merit here at no. all. I'm thinking too, like when he makes the comment that these, if these people had used that talent instead of killing, they could have made something out of themselves. I'm like, I'm just going to tell you right now that in the industry I work in, there's a lot of critique and criticism. And if you don't like that somebody gives you that, you can't murder them and like <laughs> bury, bury them in the supply closet. <laughs> so there's a temperament, right? <laughs> that you need to have if you're going to be in the art world. <laughs> People just love to say that about Charles Manson and even Hitler, you know, and I think Goebbels too that they were failed artists, you know, they didn't, they didn't get into the art school or they didn't get what they wanted out of the music world or they never made it. You know, so then that's why they turned to mass murder or something like, right. They always draw that connection, uh, right. That Hitler uh, got rejected by some art society. And so he decided yeah. I'm going to commit mass murder. <laughs> yeah. Like kill, kill 9 million people or something like, okay. I mean, do you think if I would have been rejected from art school, that that's where I was heading? I don't know. You could have turned the U.S. into a fascist nation <laughs> based on <laughs> the rejection from art school. Right. Yeah, yeah I think that's likely. Yeah, that was the thing standing between us and you turning us into a fascist nation. Exactly. So you graduated from Cal State LA. <laughs> With a degree in art. <laughs> right. Yeah. Art <laughs> changes, folks, art changes lives. Dear Cal State LA, <laughs> thank you for giving Marie an art degree and thanks you. The world thanks you. All my potential victims, thank you. So they don't have an exact number because this is a creepy, uh -huh. ho a ho creepy hobby that nobody wants to admit to, but thousands, yeah. they say that thousands of murderabilia collectors exist around the world and that's just based on sales. So, so this gap. This dude, whatever his name is, I don't care. He has a he has a hand a tracing from the Night Stalker, right? Yes. So does that mean that he's like corresponding with these people and like, hey, I'll buy your hand thing if you mail me? How does he get these things? Okay, well, are there dealers? There are dealers, but I, I'm going to answer oh. this. I'm going to answer some of your questions in the word of of John, in the words of John. In my eyes, my hobby is no different than collecting salt and pepper shakers, coins, stamps, or even mortuary items. In my eyes, John, you're a fucking idiot. In so. many people's eyes, it's taboo, but in reality, these items are a part of our history. 
things that have happened throughout the years and will never be forgotten. And then it says he's received some artwork from his correspondence with murderers, but he buys mostly online from third-party vendors. So he has corresponded with murderers. I want to I want to comment on I'm going to start my own art dealership online where I like make tracings of things and like 12-year-old drawings. And then certify that this is from the fucking Night Stalker. Because if you're dumb enough to buy it, you, you should just be like scammed all over the place. <laughs> I mean, oh. Everyone in the murderabilia universe always tries to justify it by saying, well, this is historical. This is something that happened in history. It's, it's like no different than any other historical interest. And I would have to disagree, respectfully disagree with that. So what do you think? We were... I was at a bachelorette party in Temecula and we were going to like different antique shops the day after the party. And there were a ton of antique shops that had Nazi things from the from World War II. So Nazi pins, Nazi helmets, Nazi guns. And I thought to myself, who would decorate their house with Nazi stuff? It's like, no offense, but if I if I had you over and I like there's like an alcove with the light shining down on it and like a Nazi helmet, you'd be a little disturbed, right? And it would be super. I offensive. actually know somebody who collected Nazi memorabilia and had things like that in their house. A Nazi uniform sitting on a mannequin. This person taught history and collected it. But then why display it in your home? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think with certain types of memorabilia, even from history, like if I go to, I mean, the Nazi thing is pretty prevalent, I think, with people. But if you want to try to take it outside of that realm, if I go get a skull from the killing fields during mm -hmm. the Pol Pot regime and I have mm -hmm. that skull like dipped in a precious metal and displayed in my home, it's a mm -hmm. little disturbing. Um, anyway, I, my point was just going to be there's a fine line that's being skirted here and you can get away with it a little more with, say, historical events that happened a long time ago and there aren't any victims uh, or victims' families still around. But like with the Nazi stuff, I think it's a good example because there are a lot of people whose families have still been affected by the events of World War II. But there is a, in the case of serial killers, there's a law that says killers and rapists and, and people in prison can't profit off of their crimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I could start a website tomorrow with selling my nail clippings and nobody would buy them. And my, my point is, why are you buying like Charles Manson's nail clippings or a lock of Jeffrey Dahmer's hair? or a painting by John Wayne Gacy, right? Right. Because they killed people. Yeah. So even though you're skirting, skirting that law a little bit, you're still profiteering off of the, the murder and rape and crimes and stuff. Yeah. And I think there's an absolute difference between historical, you know, items are historical because it was a part of history of, of a war and people wore those uniforms and right. pins and that stuff is actually a part of history. The art, quote unquote, art created by a, a stupid ass murderer in prison is not a part of history. 
That's not a part of history. No one should hear from this person again. Go to prison, you're a serial killer and shut up. So no, it's not a part of history. I completely disagree with this, your friend, John over there. <laughs> hey, he's not my friend. <laughs> so to the question- oh, he's not Alan, your friend? He's not your friend. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> to the question of how much money people are spending on this stuff, Rolling Stone has an article called Inside the Murderabilia Machine. And there's a dealer by the name of Eric Holler. Apparently 25 years ago, he became obsessed with Richard Ramirez. And so he called him in or he wrote him a letter in prison. Okay. And then mm -hmm. apparently he and Richard became buddies. And then Richard sent him his phone number. They started talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. And then Ramirez had the idea, hey, maybe you could sell some of my artwork on eBay. So Eric got the idea after making a bunch of money off of Ramirez, maybe I'll call some other serial killers and see if they'll provide me with artwork. And sure enough, they did. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I know. The, this guy sold uh, a painting by John Wayne Gacy for $7,000. A lock of Charles Manson's hair was listed on the site. Uh, was listed on a true crime auction house site for $2,400. So that's the kind of money people are making on these pieces. Okay. Huh. A bunch of people started complaining. So in 2001, eBay banned the sales of murderabilia. So now Eric and other people have started their own sort of eBay sites for murderabilia specifically. So I want to tell you another argument that these guys make and see what you think about it. There's, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> they make the point that a ton of money is being made from the sale of true crime novels, documentaries, and podcasts. So regular people are profiteering, in their opinion, off of the crimes that these people committed. So mm -hmm. what's what difference is it if he's also making a profit from it? I think that is an absolute asinine thing to say. There is nothing about what, what we do or even what Keith Morrison does on Dateline or, or Anne Rule who writes the, the, the books about serial killers and everything. There's no connection between what we're doing and what those guys are doing because we are not in the slightest bit promoting the people who committed these crimes. That's not what we're doing at all. And in fact, I feel like we're, like if you listen to our last episode, even his workout was unimpressive. I don't think I could have hurled more insults at Chris Watts for murdering his family because he's a fucking asshole dipshit. And I'm not going to buy his paintings because I don't want any connection to him. <laughs> but I can talk about him without promoting him. And I can talk about Charles Manson or Ramirez or the Menendez brothers and, and Scott Peterson. I can talk about them without having a connection to them without wanting to share with the world how they try to express themselves. Because I give zero flying fucks what any of them have to say about themselves, what they, what they think goes on in their brains or their emotions or how they want to live their lives and their childhoods are horror. I don't, I don't want to hear one thing from any of those assholes. And so I don't have a connection to that at all. And I think he's absolutely wrong. <laughs> Was that definitive enough? <laughs> It was pretty definitive. I, I, we always have a segment in the show. Um, this is planned out, by the way, where Becky 
becomes sort of like the the exorcist and she just starts spewing the f-bomb about serial killers <laughs> this was that segment wait it could happen again so you're not to say it was a mild version of it it was mild let me add this too and i'll try and i'll try and do this with no cuss words i'll try and do this with no cuss words because um i should work on that I also think that people like Anne Rule or or what we're doing here is actually trying to help people in, in a way by trying to analyze and understand what happens in within, you know, the crimes of, that people commit against other people so that we can be a part of the solution of prevent it. And, and I'm, I'm not saying a podcast is going to do that, but that's part of my goal is to, is to analyze it myself to, for you and I to talk about it in a way that is thoughtful and trying to do some analysis. Of, of what happens. And then we're not promoting anything that is connected to the actual people who did these crimes. That's how I feel. Well, and, and this kind of goes to why we started this podcast in the first place, you know, and, and, and it ties into the, the true crime craze that's going on right now. It's like everybody that's getting involved in it is trying to, they're going, oh, this is such a big thing now. How can we monetize it? How can we get in on it? And we're not trying to do that. And that's why I suggested our podcast be generally about fear, which I consider to be one of the strongest human emotions that motivate people, the things that we fear, as opposed to just serial killers or, or crime. And we're also trying to, when we do talk about crime, we're trying to analyze it. We're trying to discover what makes these people tick. We're trying to discover what makes us tick. Okay, I'll tell you this. So the other day when we did our podcast on serial killer duos, if you look for that one, it's called Challenging American Exceptionalism. And one of the things I did say, and I should refer back to this now that I think about it, is that the Moors murders in England, I had a connection to it through Cambridge because I read one of the letters that that the male part of that serial killer duo had written, had corresponded with the guy. And my connection to that, holding that letter in my hand, but reading it and looking at it, it is to me interesting because A, no one made any money off of it. B, the, the serial killer who, who wrote the letter, his motivation for writing the letter wasn't to self-promote or to make people think, he was just corresponding with another human. And the reason why I find that interesting is because we love to look at people and go, well, that guy doesn't look like a serial killer. Well, even, even his thoughtfulness and his handwriting was so precise and not serial killer handwriting. It was just very, very articulate and erudite. And that stuff I think is, is compelling because it's, it kind of flies in the face of what you would think about like a madman, the way that Manson looks like a madman, you know, and his handwriting looks like a madman handwriting. So right. anyway, every, and that's every... not memorabilia I would buy. If somebody offered me letters from a serial killer, I would not buy that memorabilia. No. Like every doctor I've ever had or anyone that does engineering or science, they their handwriting usually looks like serial killers. Mm -hmm. If you can read it at all, yeah. Well, I'm glad you made that point because that was going to be my answer to the accusation that the novels and the documentaries and the podcasts are exploitative. One, not a dime of the money that's made from these activities are going back to providing solace or relief for the killers themselves. So I don't want people giving money to these guys so they can buy M&Ms and Pop-Tarts at the commissary. 
their victims, they didn't get a, a shoulder to cry on. They didn't get any relief. They didn't get any special treatment. They got horribly murdered, you know? So I, I don't like the idea of people providing them with comfort. Right. But secondly, if you're going to talk specifically about the people who are collecting murderabilia, I would say some of this stuff goes beyond learning, entertainment, and like the theater of the mind into having a physical manifestation of evil in your home. Connecting with a, an evil object. Because a lot of these people will say it's fascinating to touch something or have something in your hands that belonged to someone who did something horrific. So there is a little bit of like, almost like what serial killers do with their collectibles, their trophies. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, there's a fine line. We'll just put it that way. And if I, I agree with you and I don't want to be all, you know, woo woo and spiritual about it, but I do think that there's something very icky about having a connection, physical manifestation, like you said, with someone who's committed evils like that. That is, I don't want it in my home. I don't want to touch it. I don't want it around me. It's icky and oogie and I don't like it. And if you're going to, if you're actually thinking about getting into murderabilia, you should watch that movie. It's not, it's the series that spun off from Annabelle, the doll. Do you know what I'm talking about? <gasps> oh yes. I've seen those movies. Yeah. Like Annabelle, the beginning or Annabelle, the origin yeah, or Annabelle. Yeah. The and it's all, it's all based on these guys that would cast out evil spirits from homes and then they have like a room of all these collectibles of of evil spirits to me that's what it is and I'm not a person that really believes in ghosts and stuff like that but I don't know I don't want anything to do with these guys so the next step in this progression that I wanted to talk about are murder experiences have you heard about these or murder tourism. I don't know. Describe. Yeah, give me an example. Murder trip. What does that entail? <laughs> well, there's there's kind of two different two different types of murder trips. BBC.com from March 13th of 2019 talks about Man. How do you say it? Manitowoc County in Wisconsin. Manitowoc. Manitowoc. Yes. Manitowoc. I'll just let you say it from now on. But this is the area where James Avery lived. Is that his name? Steven. Steven, geez. I should write this. How are you doing? You doing good? You doing good today? (laughs) The famed famed county where Stephen Avery lived. And apparently there's just tons of people coming every week to take selfies in front of the salvage yard where the Averys lived. And it's, yeah, it's the people come to the town and they like kind of harass the townspeople and want to talk about the murders. And then they drive by the Avery family salvage and take selfies. Why? I don't know, but it's actually starting to really irritate the townspeople. It's become, it's become a thing. I bet. So, you know, I'm from Waco, Texas, and people are constantly asking me if I know Chip and Joanna Gaines, which I don't. And they're always asking me how wonderful Waco is and Waco has now become a very popular tourist destination not only in Texas but in the United States you know people are moving there too yeah because that stupid show makes it seem like it's a great place to live yeah and I don't know the truth you've been Waco's fucking horrible (laughs) listen to me 
right here, right now, on November 22nd, 2020. Do not move to Waco. You will regret it. <laughs> totally regret it. I mean, there's look- somebody who's actually suing Chip and JoJo because they sold them a bill of goods about how great Waco is. And they're like, this is horrible. They're actually being sued. If you're into big box stores and like Applebee's and uh, Rednecks, but the thing is, Waco is a fine place. It's like a regular suburban place, like I said, with lots of big box stores and chain restaurants. And it's it's not an exciting place. It's not a beautiful place. And Mm-mm. but. Mm-hmm. Just because of this TV show now. People get on who, who take tour buses to go there, to go to their store from Dallas. It's an industry now. Yeah. But the same thing is happening with serial killers and people from true crime documentaries. Anyway, so um, just down from, I'm not going to say it again, Manitowoc. County. <laughs> I think you got it. Is uh, Milwaukee, which is home to Jeffrey Dahmer, and it has become a very popular destination for crime enthusiasts. In fact, they have a tour called the Cream City Cannibal Tour, where visitors walk around Walker's Point, the area where serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer lured his victims from gay bars. Its website boasts the tour is so gruesome that it was banned from Groupon twice. You know, it's trying to be salacious, but it could be worse. The owner of the tour company said he rejected uh, the idea of serving cannibal-themed food on the tour because he thought it was in poor taste. So there's that. Oh, that was in poor taste? That was taking it a step too far? (laughs) Right. Again, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going back to the Nazis on this one because I think about Schindler's List and how Oscar Schindler wanted to profit off of the Holocaust. And it wasn't until he actually started interacting with the people that he was trying to profiteer off of that he suddenly became sympathetic to them. And I just wonder for a lot of the true crime people that want to go on these tours of of crime scenes and stuff, imagine if a parent of one of the victims or a family member of one of the victims was seeing this people wearing Jeffrey Dahmer t-shirts and I, and I, I mean, this whole tour doesn't end with a sit down with victims of crime, but this is like something someone's doing for fun. This is not a learning experience. If you go on this tour, you know, the details of the crime. So what are you learning? Again, it's like trying to somehow touch it or become a part of it. And James James made a a really great point about this. He was saying that the people who are running these tours are becoming the expert of the storyteller for the serial killer. And at least on a weekly basis, if not a nightly basis, they're going over the details of this crime over and over again. And James mentioned that he thought maybe in a way they're like a, a surrogate for the killer. They're getting the fame, infamy of the killer without doing the crimes themselves. Like they're living vicariously through the killer. I don't know what you thought of that idea. I think there's something to that. I think there's that's part of what makes it so gross. Okay, let me back up to what we were talking about when that one guy was saying that podcasts and biographies and all those things profit off of murder. One of the things that 
I think that our show is trying to do a lot of true crime podcasts and people like us are trying to do as well as books and, and Dateline is to talk about the victims, is to, is to focus on the victims and the people who either survived it or didn't, the attacks or the murders. And so I think a tour of Jeffrey Dahmer and his cannibalism is not focusing on the victims in the slightest. And so it's, it's, it'd be like us doing a tour of the Chris Watts street or that town they lived in or where he worked. And then we're only focusing on him instead of recognizing that there were human beings involved. And so what you just said about Oscar Schindler is like the people weren't human to him until he actually started interacting with them. And then all of a sudden, oh, they're humans that I was going to profit off of, you know? And, and uh, so I did not a tour, but I went to the Jack the Ripper Museum in London. Have you been to that? I haven't, no. But we went to the, we went to the, the Jack the Ripper Museum. And I guess part of it was you know, examining the history of it because it is a long time ago and people who were the victims are not around now. Um, but if there was a Jeffrey Dahmer museum, I sure as fuck wouldn't go to that. No. You know, do people, is there one? I mean, do people go to that? I don't know. There is a museum of murder in Burbank. I think it kind of focuses on that sort of thing. So I'm sure there is, but some of the other two- So it focuses on the murderers. And so there'll be like pictures of Gacy with his clown outfit on and stuff. Right, Ugh. right, right. So I haven't been to it, but there's a couple of other tours you can do. Um, there's a Devil in the White City tour, Helter Skelter, Zodiac. Apparently there were some murders in, in Iowa. There's- Villisca? Axe murders. Someone bought yeah. the house and you can stay yeah. if you want. I read about that. And I guess for me, where it, where I, I kind of go scratch my head is like a devil in the white city tour might be a little different than say a tour of a more recent crime. Plus devil in the white city also talked about the world's fair, but I don't want to split hairs. I mean, I just, I'm not sure that tours about crimes in this way are a good thing. Especially if the victim. Why do you think people go on those tours? Did any of your articles say what the hell that's about? Yeah, I think that people, and, and this is because of the explosion of interest in true crime and because it's become an entertainment for people, people are just desensitized. That's it. They, they're completely disconnected from what really happened. So they like are not the same people who would... Or if they watched a Keith Morrison Dateline, they wouldn't be interested in the victim's mother describing how horrible her life has been since her daughter died, right? They just want to talk about the gruesome aspects of the case or that's all they want to listen to. I don't know. I don't know if it's that simple. I think that we've, we've turned a corner, culturally speaking, to where we like bad, we identify with the anti-hero more than we do with the hero. So if you look at the really a lot of popular TV shows like Dexter or Breaking Bad or or even the popularity of Batman versus Superman nowadays. It used to be everyone was into Superman. Now everyone's into Batman. Batman's more of a vigilante than a clean cut hero. So I think we're more fascinated of late with people who do bad things and we identify with them. We're being, I think you and I should do a show on what you just said. I could do two hours on the anti-hero shows and 
the treatment that the wives on those shows get and the from from the fans and from people out there. So I absolutely think there's a there's something to sympathizing with the guy who is committing these horrible acts more so than the people who are trying to catch him. You know, like it's super Dexter, easy. To, it's super know? easy to disconnect though. Like it, the things that these people are doing is completely unreal. And then the the deeper you get into true crime obsession, I think you go one of two ways. <laughs> You go the way that we're going, which is, what can we do about this? How can we stop it? It's terrible. Or depending on who you surround yourself with and, and everything, it, if you're monetizing it, it can kind of become like fantasy football or collecting comic books. You're just completely disconnected from it. So I have a couple of things that I pulled from an article about women and men who are part of fan clubs for serial killers. Do you want me to run through that? OMG, I've got to hear it. Please tell me, tell me now. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's this website called listverse.com uh, on June 4th, 2018. They talk about serial killers who have fan clubs. And believe it or not, it doesn't surprise me per se, but the uh, the mass murderers of late, the, the kids that go and shoot up schools, they have a lot of girls that are very interested in them and they have a lot of fan clubs. Oh my God. So uh, Dylan Roof has- No. Has a fan club. They call themselves the Roofies. No, no, they don't. You're lying. You're making this up. I'm having a nightmare. James Holmes- has a no fangirls they help him make collages and write him letters they're all in love with him do you remember anders uh brevik of course okay he killed like 70 people 77 people yeah he receives at least 800 letters per year from female admirers and he's he's even sent letters on how they can do a better job of sending him sexier love letters for those of you who don't know that person, he murdered, he's a white supremacist in Norway who murdered, what, 77, you said? He mm -hmm. went to a, a camp where these uh, teenagers were on an island um, off of Oslo, I believe, and uh, dressed as a police officer, started shooting people. And when people would run towards him because he thought he was a police officer, he'd kill them too. It's one yeah. of the worst crimes I've ever heard of. Yeah, so the, his fan club has a website, and on the website, they have tips on how to write him sexy love letters. So uh, the people who are on that site, are they white supremacists too? Are they just, what are you doing? I don't understand. I don't the Parkland High School shooter has a fan club. But here's a couple that really stood out to me. Jeffrey Dahmer, since we were talking about him. Admirers sent him over $12,000 to help him buy things in prison. A large chunk of the money came from a single fan in London who was so enchanted by the stories of him desecrating young boys' bodies that he sent him $5,900 while he was in prison. Couldn't, couldn't make it to 6,000, huh? Just had to stop at 5,900 because 6,000 would have been a bridge too far. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm wondering if people, if these people have financial problems because like of all the things to spend your money on. All right, so Richard Ramirez, back to him. 
after after weeks of batting eyes at the serial killer with the pentagram on his hand Hayden one of the jury this is one of the jurors in Ramirez's trial brought him a full plate of cupcakes with the message that said I love you written on top of it this is one of the jurors Hayden's love for Ramirez wasn't enough to get him off and after a few arguments with the jury booth even she put a guilty verdict through he was still convicted, but she still felt that he was her true love. She visited Ramirez in jail, told him she loved him, and even brought him, brought her parents along to meet the man that was convicted. So that's pretty far out. Um, that's the that's the that's the next segment for me that I want to talk about. What I fear are women who who fall for killers, and 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 he's and he's one of them. Because if you've ever seen him, he's one of the scariest motherfuckers you'll ever look at in your life. If you've seen, if there's evil inside of someone, you look in Richard Ramirez's eyes and that is, there's evil there. There's pure, soulless, devil evil. And the idea of someone thinking that they're going to bat their eyes at him or that he's batting his eyes at her. I got to ask, what's inside of her that makes her go, yeah, that's the one for me. I mean... Oh, okay. So keep going. Cause then we'll get to mine. After. Yeah. All right. So you, you see that these guys are getting all sorts of fan letters and, and all sorts of women that are falling in love with them. Do you think it's possible that someone could go too far and actually creep out one of these, uh, serial killers? <laughs> like, <laughs> like they could have a super fan that actually makes them worried for their lives. Will this actually happen? <laughs> no yes no a serial killer got stalked he was scared yes yes a serial killer got full-on stalked and what i love about this story is that this particular serial killer is fully aware that someone like him is stalking him yeah. oh do tell this story okay can't wait I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat this is about the woman who creeped out ted bundy Ted Bundy, the serial killer and rapist who ended at least 30 lives, got hundreds of letters from female fans while he was in prison. One woman named Janet was so enthusiastic that she managed to even creep out Ted Bundy. He only responded to her once and Janet reacted like it was the most profound moment of her existence. This is what she wrote back to him. I got the letter you sent me and read it again, she wrote him. I kissed it all over and held it to me. I don't mind telling you I'm crying. I just don't see how I can stand it anymore. I love you so very much, Ted. When she started showing up at his trials, even Bundy got nervous. He wrote a letter to his wife, Carol, telling her to stop letting Janet sit so near her so that he wouldn't have to look back at her. This is what Bundy said of Janet. There she sits contemplating me with her mad eyes like a deranged seagull studying a calm. Bundy wrote, I can feel her spreading hot sauce on me already. Deranged seagull? Yeah. <laughs> so Ted Bundy was fucking creeped out by this woman, right? He felt, and he felt like a piece of meat. She said he was about to spread hot sauce on him. Oh, poor little Ted Bundy. Well, it also fascinates me about these guys. They're, they always get their feelings hurt. You know, when people talk bad about them, they recognize when someone's stalking them. Everything is about how they feel. 
So like all those, all the things that they didn't have any sympathy for in their victims, they feel all those things for themselves. It's pretty interesting. Only for themselves. Yeah. Only for themselves. <laughs> yes. The last one on the list. Yeah, you- so do you know about Veronica Compton, the uh-huh. woman that pursued Kenneth Bianchi while he was in prison? Okay. So this is where it steps a little bit out of the realm of just hey, I'm psycho writing letters as an admirer and and people taking action. So Veronica Compton started corresponding with Kenneth Bianchi and he was doing the thing like send me sexier pictures and they're going back and forth. And then she wrote a play about the Hillside Stranglers. And then she got so serious about this that she decided she was going to have a copycat murder to throw the police off of Kenneth Bianchi. He's already in prison at this time. So she would murder someone and plant Kenneth Bianchi's semen on them. Do you remember this? So it's a Compton smuggled- yes, now, now I remember. Smuggled Bianchi's semen out of jail in a plastic glove. She planned on murdering a woman and planting the semen on her body to make it look like the DNA test had been misidentified. Can I just point out, you know you've reached a low point in life when you are <laughs> leaving a prison with a serial killer semen in a baggie right does it did it get any lower than that that is rock bottom for sure (laughs) i mean marie you know what you do last night oh i made old fashions and had some people over oh you know what i did you know that killer kenneth bianchi i got some of his semen and yeah yeah well also like to smuggle stuff out of prison don't you have to like stick it in body cavities and stuff too I think so. I mean, don't they search you coming in and out? I mean, it's got to go somewhere. I'm just going to say for the record, I've never really thought of my butthole or my vagina as like extra pockets. Oh, look, there's room to put something there. It's going to be hands-free. I'm like, well, I, <laughs> if I put that extra bag of Cheetos in my suitcase, <laughs> you know, I'll be over the 50 pounds. So I guess that extra bottle of Chardonnay is going right up the wazoo. <laughs> I think when you have decided that body cavities are extra storage, you should probably question your life choices. <laughs> right. Right. Something I've, has gone horribly wrong for you. I, but people store like big <laughs> items, men and women. There was one woman, I think, in a Dallas jail who I think like a loaded gun fell out of her yin yang when they. <laughs> so, first of all, First of all, I have had gas that's probably strong enough to pull the trigger on a loaded rifle. So that's pretty dangerous. But a gun is big. Like, and it's not, I don't know, it's like the square square peg round hole thing, right? A gun is not shaped for her pleasure. <laughs> so my question is... What kind of breathe, what kind of yogic breathing do you have to do as you're like shoving that thing up your twat? I mean, seriously. Can you imagine shoving a, a gun up there? Like a full gun to the point that. Like use Astroglide? I mean, what? And also, the fact that it fell out. The fact that it fell out leads me to believe that there needs to be some vaginal reconstruction. She's been shoving too much stuff up there. Like what kind of things, what kind of things have you been putting up there that you can't even get a gun 
stay <laughs> to stay till you want to, you know, when you're ready to use it later. Oh I mean, God. honestly, if I had a gun up there, I would think I'd have to do a lot of breathing to pull it out, right? It seems like it would be painful to pull. Well, it out. what's your plan? Like, what is your plan? If you get threatened, you're just going to be like, okay, hold on. Maybe just you give just... me one second. I'm going to run over to the bathroom. I got to take care of something. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you've, oh, you've been doing a lot of Kegels, you can just fling yourself onto your back and spread your legs and just start firing away. <laughs> just make sure the. <laughs> like a ping pong show in Mexico. Right. Yeah. You want to see this trick? I can I can fire a gun from inside my vagina. Uh, I knew those Kegels would pay off for something. Jeez. Oh yeah. my God. We got to get past this because we are going to say things that are helpful to people. So I think it's okay for us to be a little self-help. And so I just want to give the tip that if you are going to store things in body cavities, it shouldn't be things that can harm you like if, <laughs> power tools guns loaded weapons things with like a, a sharp edge a blade things like that just shouldn't go up i mean like you said save it for the bag of cheetos i mean just leave that space empty because you don't want to be over the 50 pounds at the airport right. just just skittles Cheetos, small. Mm. I, I would advise, except for that woman with the gun, she could probably put a bottle of Chardonnay up there. And you know, small uh, half bottles of Cabernet, you can put that up there. <laughs> Don't put champagne up there though, because champagne is dangerous. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, you're gonna. If you what if you're on the plane you know i mean you're you're watching the movie and you start laughing so hard that's your champagne pops i mean that would be a bad day that's right well here's the thing safety tips for storing champagne in your vagina if if you if you put champagne in a body cavity make sure that the cork is pointing towards the exit that's the first thing and then if you're a woman, wear a dress. And if you're a man, wear a kilt. Because the thing is, if that thing goes off in some pants, it's going to be unpleasant. See? Oh my God. So um, she tried and failed to do this horrible deed. I actually don't know if she killed anyone. I don't think she did. I think she tried or, or, or something happened that she couldn't do it. Then Compton wasn't a very effective killer. Her victim got away okay. and called the police. Shocked. Yeah, he, I'm shocked. he probably, she really she probably pulled out that bag of semen and the woman was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. I don't know the details if that's the official report. Gosh, I wonder how much a bag of serial killer semen would go for on a murderabilia site. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for our wrap up, I have a, a quote from a psychologist that I would like to read and then a way to lead us out of this madness. There's an article called Why Our True Crime Obsession is Bad for Society. It's by a woman named Laura Bogart. And she quotes some psychologists and, and really gets into the psychology behind some of this obsession. And I think this is a really great quote. Rami Diversala, a clinical psychologist, believes that these stories often get more played when they feature oppressed groups as victims, in essence, offering up the stories of victimized women 
racial ethnic minorities as entertainment and giving the perpetrators the moment of fame which could be perceived as reinforcing their behavior. The serial killer has become yet another bulwark of the broody white male anti-hero trope. A trope that given the current and very long overdue emphasis on the broader and lingering impact of sexual violence and the very specific ways that women, POC and LGBTQ people have suffered from violence. But these women, like all the victims of killers who have become cause celebrity in our cultural mythos of toxic masculinity, have been largely erased from the story of their own deaths. When true crime stories focus so extensively on the perpetrators, they devalue the victims and more broadly set a theme that certain marginalized groups are disposable. After all, the murdered girl has become a kind of pop cultural Madonna, beautified in the moment of her oblivion, but even then only a certain kind of murdered girl, i.e. thin, white, and conventionally pretty seems to matter at all. And I was just gonna say for all of us in, in this community that enjoy true crime and, and looking at these crimes that we should maybe adhere to my mother-in-law's Christmas wish. So James and I have a holiday tradition of watching a movie after Christmas dinner. And a couple of years ago, the movie he chose for after Christmas dinner was Hateful Eight to take his mother to. Have you oh. seen? Yeah. No, but I, I know that it's got nothing but the N-word and people covered in blood the whole time. So this movie, I was a little nervous about it, but James said he had already seen it. And it wasn't that bad. And the version of, of the movie we saw had an intermission and we were nearing the intermission and it was violent, but it wasn't that bad. And then right before the intermission, Samuel Jackson forces a guy to give him oral sex. He rapes a guy right before he kills him. I didn't know that. There was rape in that? Tarantino, stop, dude, stop. Stop. After that, since that Christmas, my mother-in-law always says, my wish for this year's Christmas movie is that there is no murder, rape, torture, threat of murder or torture. So I feel that is... (laughs) That is something we can honor. So if you find yourself getting so immersed in serial killer culture or murderabilia or wanting to go on serial killer vacations, maybe it's time to turn the TV off, take a hike, pet a puppy, watch a romantic comedy, and remember that we should also focus on the beauty in life too, not just the horrific parts of life. That was my PSA. All right, so we have a lot more material on this. So what we're going to do is turn this into at least a two-parter. Who knows, maybe an eight-parter. You never know what we'll do over here. But in the meantime, you've been listening to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. One of the things I'd like to invite you to do is to go give us five stars on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And once this episode drops, it'll be on a Wednesday, the first five people who give us five stars and write a hilarious and complimentary review or a terrifying review we're going to read your um, reviews on the show or do something for you that might be a great surprise, but you will love it. So go to our website, fearthispodcast.com and subscribe there for exclusive content that will change your life. Right, Marie? Life-changing, man. For real. For real.